Good morning. Can we just lift up the name of Jesus one more time? Come on. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today because all of the attributes that we just saw that popped up on that screen and God is so good. And I am so thankful to be here with you today at the Bridge Church. And we want to welcome everybody who's watching online, the Bridge Online. Man, there are people from all over the state, all over the country who are joining us in today. Can we just tell them hello and that we're glad that they're here? Yes. Yes. Man, maybe, maybe you're uh, making breakfast right now, scrambling up some eggs. Maybe you're, uh, you, you took the family on a trip this weekend. Maybe you guys are right there fishing and you're listening online right now. We just want to say that we're glad that you are here today in the house. And so, guys, before we get started, I just want to take a few seconds um, just to honor uh, our, our pastor, our lead pastor, Pastor Jim. Um, he would hate to know that I'm doing this, but I am just so thankful for his leadership. And man, I'm so grateful to call him pastor. And we're so grateful to have him as our pastor in his 50 years of ministry experience that he has under his belt. He is such a wise and caring, compassionate leader. And I'm so thankful for him. And you know what? Even though he wouldn't like it, I'm just doing what the Bible tells me to do. And the Bible tells us to outdo one another in showing honor and to honor such people. So can we just honor Pastor Jim this morning? And Miss Kim. Man, so thankful for the opportunity to come today and, and share God's word with you. I'm the student pastor here at the bridge, and uh, I have the honor of shepherding and pastoring our middle school and high school students. And uh, this morning, I just kind of want to get an idea of who's in the room. Do we have any single people in the room? Just throw your hand up really quick. Any single people? All the single ladies, where are you at? Singles? Anybody? Singles? Keep your hand up. Everybody, you singles, kind of look around and you take note, right? You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it happen right here, but... Uh, um, do we have uh, any married couples in the room today? Woo-woo, any married couples? Yes, yes, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Well, listen, um, before we really get started, I want to share two things with you that you really need to settle up like right now. If you're somebody who's thinking about getting married one day, you need to settle up these two things right here because it could wreak havoc on your marriage one day, okay? These two things, so important, so extremely important. What are you talking about, Pastor Lucas? Are you talking about money? Is that what it is? Finance is super important when it comes to marriage. Or are you talking about money? Uh, not necessarily right now. What about, is, is it intimacy? Are you talking about intimacy? No, no, not, not so much. Are you talking about trust? Trust is so important in a relationship. Is, is that what you're referring to? I mean, hey, listen, all those things are good things. But these two things right here, I'm just telling you, you better go ahead and get it right. So what is it? Do you guys want to know this morning? This is it. This is it. These two things, you might want to get out a, a pen and paper and write these two down, even if you're married, because I'm telling you, it's going to help you out if you go ahead and get this settled up between you and your spouse or you and your future spouse. Which way does the toilet paper go? Which way does the toilet paper go? Is it like waterfall or is it like tape measure? I mean, does it go forward or does it go like, you know, hit the wall and back? And man, I, I'm so thankful that I married a Christian woman who, you know, we, we can agree that the, the right way, the, 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 the Christian way is front ways, right? That's just it. That's just it. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's your business. That's your business. Uh, the second thing that you really need to settle up is uh, the thermostat. Let's just be real. You got to get that under control. Like, where is the temperature going to be? And I meet so many couples that one person is hot-natured and one person is cold-natured. And so this, is, this can be uh, a, a war in the home, right? Where are you going to set the thermostat? And this is why it's so important, because it affects everybody in the house. Wherever you set that temperature 
that it affects every single person in the house. And so you need to, you just need to know, is it going to be on 68? Is it going to be on 70? Is it going to be on 72? Like, do you need to wear three shirts to bed? Uh, I mean, are you going to sweat it out? I mean, this is the things you need to find out, single people, when it comes to the people that you are, are interested in and dating. I'm telling you, it's important uh, because the thermostat, it sets the environment for the whole house. The thermostat sets the environment for the whole house. Um, in the same way, in the same exact way, your mind is the thermostat for your attitudes and for your opinions and for your thinking and for your ideas. And it matters where your mind is set. And so that's my question for you this morning as you walked in today. Where is your mind set today? Oh, man, I know that's a loaded question because there's so many things going on in our world today that there are so many things fighting for our attention. But my question to you, and it's going to continue to be my question throughout the remainder of the day, is where is your mindset? Where is your mindset? I, I want to just give you this one little principle right here. Your mindset is shaped by where your mind is set. That's why we're talking about this today, because this is so important. Your mindset is shaped by where your mind is set. And our culture and our world would have you to set your mind on, guess who? You. In indirect ways, in direct ways, our culture and our world tells us, encourages us to set our minds on us. You need to be worried about you, boo. You need to be looking out for you. I mean, if you want that car, if you want to be in that house, if you want a vacation in those spots, if you want to, if, if you want to uh, send your kids to that school, go to that college, I mean, you need to be figuring out what you're going to do to get there. Because once you get there, oh, man, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be successful. Then you'll be envied. Then everybody will be jealous of you. Then you'll prove them wrong. So once you get that figured out, man, you will be set up for success. And what that does is it makes us put a lot of emphasis on titles, on positions, on statuses. And pretty much what it communicates to us is your worth is directly dependent on you. Most of which are things that, that are earned. You know, if you want to become a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer, you got to go get an education for that. Um, you know, once you become, uh, once, you, once you have a child, you become a mother or you become a father. Uh, hey, listen, once you graduate for, from uh, Air Force basic training, you become uh, an airman basic, right? I mean, you don't have the highest position, but at least you have a position. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, is that um, it causes us to pay a lot of attention to just who we are, like when it comes to the, actually the things that we do, what we do becomes where we determine how much we're worth. And don't get me wrong, I mean, titles and positions and statuses, I mean, they, you know, they have their place. I have a lot of titles when it comes to my family. And titles are helpful because it lets you know how somebody operates in a group or a community or an organization. And so, listen, I have the title of uh, follower of Jesus, which lets you know I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. I have the title of husband, which lets you know I have a wife. I have the title of father, which lets you know that I have a child. I have the title of brother, which means I have siblings, and uncle, which means that it tells you that they have 
children. And so titles are good. Titles are good. Listen, I have a title here at the church. I do. I have a position here at the church. I'm the student pastor, which means that majority of my time is spent shepherding and pastoring students. So they're not, they're not bad. Titles, positions, they're not bad. But the moment that we start to use titles and positions and statuses as the measuring stick for how we measure our worth and the people around us, that's when it becomes extremely toxic. That's when it becomes dangerous because we live between either not being good enough for some people or being too good for other people. And if your mind is set that you're not good enough, well, guess what? You'll start to believe that you don't matter. You'll start to believe that the things that you do do not matter. But on the flip side, if you really think, man, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal, then over time, you know, you're only going to surround yourself with people who can benefit you. You will only surround yourself with people who are worth your time and your energy. And so both of them are very toxic. Both of them give us a distorted mindset when it comes to the people around us. And so if you're somebody in this room today or watching online that you want to make an impact on this world, if you're somebody that you want to make an impact in the life of others, if you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, you're going to want to safeguard yourself against this. So how do we do that? How do we safeguard our hearts against having a toxic, distorted view of ourselves and others. Well, I think Romans 12, 2 gives us a little hint as to how to do that. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. In other words, don't let your mind fall into the pattern of this world, but let it be transformed let it be renewed. Oh man, Pastor Luke, that sounds so good, man. That's great. Thank you so much for the vague advice. But, but how do we do that? How do we actually make that happen? Well, it goes back to what we said earlier. Your mindset is shaped by where your mind is set. So you can't expect to have a different mindset. You can't expect to have a different attitude if your mind is still sitting in the place that it's always sat. Just like when you go to your house and it's a little warm in the house. Well, it's not going to change until you go to the thermostat, until you change it. So if we want our minds to be transformed, if we want them to be renewed, well, then we have to set our minds on something else. And so the better question where do our minds need to be set? Well, again, I think the Apostle Paul can shed some light on that for us because he writes this letter in the New Testament called Philippians to the church of Philippi. And he's, he's writing to them, and man, he has a lot of great things to say about them. I mean, a lot of great things to say about this church. They've been so generous. They've been doing a lot of great things. Hey, listen, they were one of the only people to support Paul in his ministry early on, and so they hold a special place in Paul's heart. However, if you just read those uh, short four chapters of Philippians in the New Testament, then you're going to start to see a pattern take place. 
you're going to start to see Paul continuously reminding them to renew their thinking. You're going to continue to see him try to change their, their frame of mind. And, and you get the sense that, that maybe Paul's a little bit concerned about where their frame of mind's at. And so this is what he writes to them. Are y'all ready? Are you ready to discover how to renew your mind, how to transform your mind? I hope so. I hope so. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Right there in that first verse, we get what we need right here. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, not obedient to death, but obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is wanting you to see that right here, right now. Even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. We're talking about Jesus in the form of God. John 1-1 tells us that in the beginning was the, come on, word, yes. In the beginning was the word, and he was with the, the word was with him, talking about God. And the word was God, yes. All things were made through him, and there was not anything made that did not cross his hands. He was in the form of God, but he emptied himself to the point that he became a human, and he died on a Roman cross, which if you know anything about it, and we've said this many times, but it's like one of the most shameful ways to die in Roman culture. But then he says this, Paul says this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul was telling us, he is calling us today to have a brain transplant. He's saying, have the mind of Jesus Christ. He's saying, take the mind that you have empty it, and then take the mind of Christ and fill your mind with that. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Christ's mind, his mind was set on bringing glory to the Father. Watch how this works. His mind was set on bringing glory to the Father. So what happened as a result? His mindset became surrender because his mind was set on bringing glory to the Father. His attitude, his thinking became surrender and he emptied himself. Man, he was in the form of God, had all the benefits of God, but for a time he set those aside, those benefits, and he emptied himself. And if we desire to have the mind of Christ, oh my goodness, we have to empty ourselves and lay down our forms. What are you talking about, Pastor Luke? Our forms. We have to empty our forms, our titles, and our positions, and our statuses. The things that we cling to so much, the things that make us feel comfortable, the things that make us feel valued, the things that make us feel worth, we have to surrender them over to God. And we do that. We empty ourselves of all that we have done. All, of we've, all the things that we've earned, all of our accomplishments, all of our promotions, all of our accolades, and we decide to no longer place our worth and our value in them so that God can have room to fill us with himself. And can I just be honest with you today, church? This is one of the hardest things to do because you and I could argue that we have earned 
where we are right now today. Man, you spent a lot of time getting that degree. Man, you spent a lot of time, you sacrificed a lot of time with your family to get that promotion at work. You put your body on the line, some of you, to get that position on that sports team at school. And man, you, you started from nothing, man. You, you, you came from nothing, but now you, you own your own business, and, and then, you, then you own two businesses, and now you're on the three businesses. And man, I'm telling you, you're really doing something for yourself right now. And man, those are big sacrifices. I, I don't, I don't want to make light of that. But I, I think that the psalmist, Shania Twain, can give us a little bit of insight and perspective at, at maybe how God views our positions and statuses and, and titles. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Shania Twain, don't you act like it? Don't you act like you don't play Shania Twain in your truck, you fellas. Listen, don't you act like it. You know you just blare it when nobody's around. But I, I want to look at, at this, I, I believe it was 1990s, yeah. You know what song I'm talking about? Come on, okay. Am I, am I going to have to sing it? Am I going to have to sing it? If I'm going to have to sing it, you're going to have to participate. So can you just put your hands together like this? Come on, Bridge Church. Come on. Get on beat. Get on beat. Yes, there it is. There it is. There it is. Here's the song right here. Ooh, you think you're something special. Ooh, you think you're something else. Come on, Bridge Church. That don't impress me much. Oh, come on now. Come on. Hey, listen, let me tell you something right now. God is not impressed by your titles. God is not impressed by your bank account. God is not impressed by your status. God is not, he's not impressed by your follower count on Instagram. God is not impressed by anything that you've done. That's not where he finds his worth in you. No, you want to know where your worth comes from in the eyes of God? Your worth comes from the fact that he created you. If I had a basketball up here with me right now, you know, I might could sell it for 10 bucks. It's falling. It's never been used. It's still in the box. I mean, it's a nice basketball. You know, I might could sell it for 10 bucks. I mean, that's a pretty good price for a basketball, $10. Put it on the Facebook yard sale site, sell it. Maybe, maybe eight, maybe 10. But let me tell you what. If I had Scottie Pippen's name on that ball, I could probably get about $1,000 for it, especially if it was the time that he was playing with the Chicago Bulls. Now, if I had Michael Jordan's name up there, boy, I'm pretty sure I could get five grand easy. I'm pretty sure I could get five grand easy for that basketball. And you see what's happening here? The basketball did nothing to increase its value. No, the reason why it's so valuable is because of the name that's on it. And so I'm trying to tell you here today, your worth does not come from anything you do in the eyes of God, but your worth comes from the very fact that he created you. And the moment that you allow him to put his son's name on you is the moment that he doesn't just value you because he created you, but he actually adopts you into his family. He actually lets you sit at his table. Do you hear me this morning, church? I'm telling you, it's all about the name that you have written on you. That is where your worth comes from. And so, again, I don't mean to make light of the things that you've done. You know, you should be proud of them. You should be excited about them. But what I just want to tell you is this, that if Jesus was willing to lay down a heavenly title, then we have no good reason to hold on to an earthly one. That's not where your worth comes from. And we struggle with this in many different ways. 
We struggle with this because, man, we start to think that, man, we're just too good for some people. And we wouldn't admit that, but that's just what our actions show. And what our mindset is shaped by where our mind is set. And so, God sacrificed his son for you. He made a sacrifice for you. And you don't make a sacrifice that big for something that's not valuable to you. So I I think you should certainly be glad with where you've come in your lifetime. And I think Paul understands this because he says right here in Philippians 3, 4, and 7, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he said, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying, that's my resume, like I'm the poster child for the old covenant. I mean, nobody else. If you have confidence in the flesh, I have more confidence in the flesh because of the accomplishments that I have. But what does he say in that last verse, verse 7? But whatever I have gained, I'm telling you, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. So having our mindset on Christ means that we will have the mindset of surrender. And we surrender our confidence in the things that we've accomplished and the statuses that we hold. And instead, we draw our confidence from Christ and what he's accomplished for us. And this is the part that shocks me, church, is not only did he empty himself, not only did he come in the form of flesh. I mean, can you imagine this just for a second? He is God. He's created everything. He's come in the form of flesh. How did he come? He came as a baby. Now when he comes as a baby, what happens? He's having to depend on other people to feed him and to change him. The God of the universe has subjected himself for for somebody else to take care of him. And then he grows up. And I'm telling you, this is what's crazy about this passage of Scripture. And what it tells us is not only did he do that, but as he grew up, he became a servant of people. And why did he do that? Well, because our mindset is shaped by where our mind is set. And so his mind was set on bringing glory to God by reconciling us to himself. And so his mindset became humility. Now you've heard the saying before, that in order to understand somebody, you need to walk a mile in their shoes. But can I tell you something about Jesus Christ? He walked in our shoes for 33 years. He served us in them and then he died wearing them. And so if your mind is gonna be set on Jesus Christ, you gotta understand that your mindset will become humility. And what does that look like? It means being willing to walk in other people's shoes for the purpose of helping them carry their burdens in hope that they will be reconciled to God. That's what it means. And so I think about maybe your boss. You know, where's your mind been at lately? Maybe you've been thinking about your boss and man, your boss, if you're gonna be quite honest, you probably wouldn't say it in church, but he has been a jerk And you hate going to work. You dread going to work because he's just so hateful. He's so condescending. He belittles you so much. And so you just dread going to work. But if you were to walk a mile in his shoes, you'd understand that he's not always been this way. 
you'd understand that three years ago his wife left him with their three kids. And he's struggling himself. He's just trying to figure out how do I work full time? How do I take care of these kids all on my own? And I'm not saying it's right the way he treats you at work or she treats you at work, but I'm just letting you know that if you walk a mile in his shoes, then man, you might understand a little bit as to why he acts the way he acts. Man, this, this, this lady over here, your waitress at the, at the restaurant. Oh my goodness, you've been waiting for 10 minutes. Where is this woman at? Come on, I'm hungry. You know, we're, we're paying customers. Where's she at? Oh, finally, she's coming. Go ahead and figure out what you want because we don't want to ask for more time to figure it out because we might not ever see her again, kids. Come on, go ahead and figure it out. Oh, my goodness. Why is my tea glass halfway full? Are you serious? Does this woman know? Does she know that she's working for a tip? Does she know that? I mean, my goodness, is she lazy? Does she just not want a job? Does she just not want to work? If you were to walk a mile in her shoes, you'd understand that it's a miracle that she even made it to work today because she just found out her baby was lost. And you know, while she would love to be able to curl up in the bed and take the time that she needs to mourn, she still has bills coming. And so she doesn't have any other choice but to get to work. If you walk a mile in her shoes, you'd see that. This young man right here, man, <laughs> He ain't nothing but trouble, hanging out in places he don't need to be hanging out. Go ahead, lock your doors. You see that young man right there? He looks kind of shady. He looks like trouble. You know, if you were to walk a mile in his shoes, you'd understand that he never had a father growing up. And he craves a father figure. He wishes that he had somebody to look up to. So you know what? He's willing to take it from whoever is willing to act like they care and so, yeah, that's probably led him to the path that he's at. But what he's really longing for is for somebody to take him under his wing and just to show him that he is loved and he is cared for. And then this little girl over here, man, she is, she's spoiled. She's a brat, to be right honest with you. I mean, have you heard the way that she talks to her parents? I'm telling you what, if she was my youngin', I would whoop her tail. My goodness, she ain't got no manners. What's wrong with that girl? If you were to walk a mile in her shoes, you would see that, mm, you would see that the very person that was supposed to protect her violated her. And she don't even fully understand what happens or what had happened, but she knows that it wasn't right. And because of that, she's doing whatever she can to build up a wall of trust for any adult. She just doesn't trust anybody. It's amazing what you can learn when you walk a mile in somebody's shoes. I think about this quote from this book that you probably read going through school called To Kill a Mockingbird. And at this point in the, in the novel, this father's trying to impart some wisdom to his daughter about trying to relate to other people. And he says, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, that's his daughter. He said, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. 
You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around it. My goodness, if Jesus didn't walk around in my skin, Jesus walked around in your skin. I know that maybe you came in here with some burdens today. You have some things that are just fighting for your attention and for your mind, and maybe you feel isolated and alone, and maybe you just feel like giving up. Can I tell you for just a second that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through right now because he has walked in your skin? Church, there's so many people in our, in our world that are hurting right now, so many people that are hurting. But so many times we just feel like it's not really our problem, you know. Why? Because the world has, has taught us to kind of be inward focused, to have this me mindset. But today Christ is calling us to renew and transform our minds. He is calling us to follow his lead, to take our minds off of us and set our minds on him. And so we see in Philippians as we close this morning, towards the, end of the, to, towards the, the, the beginning of the chapter that we've already read, pretty much what Paul says, if you've gained anything from following Jesus Christ, he says in verse three of chapter two, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So where's your mindset at today? Because it has the ability to change the environment around you, the culture around you, the world around you, your workplace. It has the ability to change the people around you, wherever your mind is set. It affects everybody in the house. So where's your mindset today? Well, if your mind is set on you, well, then you'll befriend people who you feel like are worth it. But if your mind is set on Christ, then you will see every single person you come in contact with as somebody that Christ died for. If your mind is set on you, well, then you'll measure your worth and the worth of others by what you've accomplished. But if your mind is set on Christ, you'll draw your confidence and your worth from what Christ has accomplished for you. If your mind is set on you, oh my goodness, you'll do whatever you can to bring glory to you and your name. But if your mind is set on Christ, then you'll be focused on trying to bring fame to God's name. Imagine if as a church and everybody watching this and everybody that's gonna watch this in the days to come, what if we made the decision right now that we wanna set our minds on Christ? And I know what you're probably thinking, some of us in the room were like, man, I, hey, listen, I gave my life to Christ a long time ago. Like my mind's been transformed. I am good. I mean, this is for somebody else. No, it is for every single one of us. And can I tell you right now, yes, maybe you gave your life to Christ at some point. And yes, transformation took place, but this is a daily thing. I'm telling you from somebody who has experienced it. I mean, I've been following Christ for a long time, but there are, there are days where I know that my mind is not set on Christ because I can tell it in my attitude. I can tell it in my thinking. My wife can tell it in my attitude and she can tell it in my thinking because where my mind is set, sets the environment for everywhere that I go. So I get it. It's something that we have to daily ask God to help us with. And you know, I see glimpses of it. I see glimpses of people's hearts set on Christ when I hear about a couple in our church who took off their day uh, together to, to take one of our widows up to Chapel Hill for a doctor's appointment. That's what it looks like to have your mind set on Christ. 
when I heard about all the people that, that, that rushed to help bring meals to the shut-ins during the first three months of the shutdown because of COVID-19, man, that's some people with their hearts set on Christ. Man, well, every time I saw somebody bring a backpack for Southeastern Kentucky schools in the summertime, when I saw people dropping off school supplies and backpacks to help somebody that they will never even see, my goodness, that's what it looks like to have your mind set on Christ. But those are good stories, man. Those are great stories. But they're in the past now, and we should share them and celebrate them. But I want to make some new stories. Do y'all want to make some new stories when it comes to having your mind set on Christ? I hope so. Because the cultural temperature has been set on us for too long. The cultural temperature has been set on hatred and division for way too long. And I'm ready for the church to set the temp on Christ so that the kingdom of God would expand and so that people would experience the love of Jesus Christ. That's what I am praying for and I'm hoping for and I pray and hope that you will join me in that prayer. God, set our minds on you, please, Jesus. The world needs it. The only way that that will happen is if we empty ourselves and let Jesus fill us up. That's the only way it'll take place. And so at the very end of Philippians, Paul ends up saying this in chapter four, verses eight through nine. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and have seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So where is your mindset today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we just admit, Lord, that we're not perfect. Lord, there's not a perfect person in this building right now. There's not a perfect person watching online right now. God, we need you. You are the only perfect one. And God, we look to you right now. Would you just perform a brain transplant on us right now? Would you just take our minds, God, and would you just give us yours? We want yours, God. We want your mindset. Give us your mindset, Jesus. God, I'm ready for transformation to take place in people's lives around us, in our community. God, I'm ready for transformation to take place, Lord, in our state. I'm ready for transformation to take place, Lord, in our country. I'm ready for transformation to take place in our world, God. And it can only happen through you. So please, God, would you help us? We beg you right now, give us your mindset. Help us to set our minds on you, Jesus, so that the world can see that we are your disciples in Jesus' name. And God, I'm humbled at the fact that even after we leave this space today, even if our minds are not set on you, God, your minds are set on us. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that Maybe if there's somebody in this room that has never given their life to you, Jesus, right where they are, I pray that they would do that. God, I pray that they would accept what you have done on their behalf. Right there in the quietness of wherever they're listening at right now, God, I pray that they would just ask for you to come into their heart, ask for you to forgive them of their sins, ask for you, God, to just transform them from the inside out. 
And God, I pray for your people, your church, please don't let us settle, but God, renew our minds, transform our minds every single day until it looks just like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen.